a Diptyque or Jo Malone candle more than me, but they're quite costly. They typically come in at about $65 a pop and they don't have a give back component. And I immediately thought of this concept of light for light where you could, for each candle sold, you could help provide solar energy to someone in need. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and this week's guest is amazing, and I know you will love her story and how she's helping make the world a better place. Sterling McDavid is the CEO and founder of The Starling Project, a charitable home candle line that helps provide solar energy to impoverished communities around the world. Inspired by her pro bono work in Vietnam for UNICEF in 2013, McDavid left a career in finance as a financial analyst at Goldman Sachs and Company in New York to focus her energies on a meaningful solution to help the less fortunate. Prior to launching the Starling Project, McDavid worked at the architecture and design firm Projectiles in Paris, France, where she refined her keen eye for design, which aided in the development of her highly curated candle collection. Committed to her charitable work, McDavid serves as a member of New York's UNICEF Board of Directors, a chair of New York's UNICEF Next Generation Steering Committee, and the National Development Chair of UNICEF Next Generation. In early 2016, she was presented with the UNICEF Champion for Children Award at the UNICEF Children First Gala for her dedication to helping children globally. Additionally, Sterling was awarded the 2016 Bronze President's Volunteer Service Award from President Obama. Beyond her extensive design and philanthropic expertise, McDavid has a passionate entrepreneurial spirit and a flair for entertaining, serving as co-owner of the New York City restaurant Hunt and Fish Club. Sterling, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So you've got a really interesting bio, and I know that what you're doing now is not remotely consistent with what you were doing previously. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got from being a Wall Street exec to what you're doing now, because it's such an interesting share. Yeah, sure. So I started my career on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs. And quite frankly, I was working many long hours, as you can imagine. And it it sort of led me to sit there and question, you know, what I could be doing outside of work that was more meaningful. Not that the work they do on Wall Street isn't meaningful, but I sort of felt a tug personally in a direction to find something that was really sort of making a difference in people's lives, um, especially those in third world countries without anything. So I started to do a bit of research and a friend pointed me in the direction of UNICEF, which 
you may know what UNICEF is. It's the largest humanitarian organization in the world, and they save more children's lives than any other. And at first, I was a bit intimidated just because they are such a a large nonprofit. But ultimately, I was extremely shocked when I met people involved with UNICEF, both uh, working for UNICEF as well as, um, you know, donors giving their time, their money, et cetera. But it, it really stood out to me. And I think it was because their their work was so tremendous and so meaningful and so literally life-changing, saving hundreds of thousands of lives. And I got involved, ultimately was asked to go to Vietnam to do some pro bono work in the field there with UNICEF. I was still at Goldman at the time. I thought for sure my team was not going to let me take two weeks to go do this. But fortunately, I had um, a wonderful boss and head of the team who was like, I think this is great. I think more people need to be doing this kind of work um, and representing Goldman. So I fortunately got the opportunity to go. Unfortunately for my team, it really put things in perspective. And I ultimately just thought to myself, you know, if I could work as many hours as I'm working on Wall Street, to help these people, I could really move the needle. Um, and even if it's one person at a time, I, I really realized that uh, while witnessing many things in the field that, you know, the smallest acts can really, really change these people's lives. So I ultimately came back to Goldman, put in my two weeks notice, literally right as I returned from the trip. It was a little scary because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. But I knew that I had to take the leap now because obviously if I waited a little longer, I may you know, get caught up in what I'm doing and the fact that I was being uh, compensated well. And I just thought like, I've got to do this now. I got to go with my gut. The sooner I can leave, the sooner I can help these people. And I quite literally did that. And I, and in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, you know, about Tom's for instance, and the the way of making an impact with, you know, a, a good that you're selling here. And it's a great way to engage people um, and, and also have them be a part of something bigger, right? Like you're a part of the community here and why not all come together to help a community elsewhere that's really in need. And so I essentially got to brainstorming and I I ended up um, actually going back to school to study architecture and design, mostly with the goal of tapping my creative side because historically I had been pretty quantitative. Ultimately took a job in Paris and it was there that I was introduced to the world of fragrance. And then everything sort of clicked for me. So I, it, it's, it sounds a little crazy, but when I was in Vietnam, I witnessed solar energy working in ways that I previously didn't know it could work. For instance, I saw a solar panel powering pipes for clean water. I feel like many times here in the US especially, people think, oh, well, solar is for electricity. That's not the first thing you may need in a rural community. When in reality, solar can do so many things, such as power pipes for clean water, which can lead to preventing preventable diseases like cholera and diarrhea. So I was fascinated with this and had gotten a little involved on the solar side with UNICEF. So then fast forward to Paris and I was looking at the fragrance world while working for an architecture firm there. As you may know, many spa resorts and hotels now have custom fragrance that fills their space to sort of bring you to home every time you visit one of their locations. And that's what I was working on at the end of this project. And then I ultimately learned so much about the fragrance world that it just sort of hit me. I was like, 
you know, no one loves a, a diptyque or Joe Malone candle more than me, but they're quite costly. They typically come in at about $65 a pop and they, they don't have a give back component. And I immediately thought of this concept of light for light, where you could, for each candle sold, you could help provide solar energy to someone in need. And again, that could be, that is solar um, that provides light literally, but also that powers pipes for clean water or powers refrigeration for life-saving vaccines, et cetera. So that's how this, how I sort of took my journey. Um, it, it was definitely a lot of risk involved, but I knew deep down that I, I have a purpose and I just personally wasn't fulfilling my purpose while on Wall Street. And I really needed to move the needle and make a difference. And I think one of the best things I learned along the way was that one person can make a dent, even though it can seem very intimidating, you really can make a difference. And I wanted to make sure I showed that to other people. Sterling, there's so much good stuff you shared in there. And one of the things that struck me is you mentioned you, you were feeling this tug. You, know, you were feeling like what you were doing in Wall Street wasn't fulfilling your purpose. How quickly into your foray into Wall Street did that happen? Was that like an immediate thing or did that slowly happen over time? No, I think, you know, listen, the reality is I, I, was, I was on Wall Street for two years. So I did fulfill my full analyst contract and commitment. And, and I'm sort of one of those people who believes in sticking things out. And by the way, many great things come from starting your career on Wall Street, including diligence, attention to detail, uh, commitment to being able to work long hours, for instance. So I learned a lot from my time there and I wanted to make sure that I got everything out of it that I needed to. And, and, but I will say that as you do work that you personally don't feel connected to, even money sort of can't bring you happiness, right? Like I, I kept feeling like I'm just not happy with what I'm doing on a daily basis. As much as I loved many of my colleagues, I met my husband there, things like that. I, I, I can never replace. I would never want to go back in any other way. But for me, in my gut, I just probably as early as six months in, I was just thinking, you know, there's, there's got to be something more meaningful for me. I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing. And, and I think anytime someone feels that, they should listen to themselves and listen to their gut um, and try to understand what sort of, you know, what they're missing in their current role. And then when you went off to Vietnam for that two-week pro bono stint, it probably, I, I'm presuming that voice became louder and shifted towards, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. 100%. I, I knew, you know, and it's it's sad to admit this, but you hear about things going on in third world countries or abroad, et cetera, and you hear it and and it and you feel for for what's going on there. But when you witness it firsthand, it's you know it's it's absolutely incredible because you're just going, this can be resolved, you know, um, and and there was something in me that was just like I can be a part of really resolving these issues. And I know I can, and I'm confident that, you know, if I leave Goldman, I will find my way because it, it quite literally was like a magnet pulling me in. What, what you share, Sterling, is so consistent with what 
a lot of entrepreneurs say and a lot of philanthropists say who they have this tug, this pull. And even though you mentioned that there was this great risk, I mean, essentially you're walking away from this amazing job in Wall Street, you knew, you knew in your heart that you were going to be able to make this happen, which is remarkable. Definitely. But it's still intimidating. I will say (laughs) that. (laughs) It's not always easy, but um, it's definitely worth the journey. I I am so thrilled with the impact we have made with the Starling Project, my candle brand. It's it's pretty remarkable. After only less than two years in business, actually, we have given over $150,000 to UNICEF through the sale of candles, which is pretty amazing. Um, and I, and it, and it was, it, I truly started this as a passion project thinking, you know, I hope this works. I, I did enough market research, things like that to know that many people felt like I did about buying sort of luxury candles. They love them. They want to buy them, but they maybe feel a little guilty. Um, not to mention many of those products out there are not natural. Um, and we are proud to say we have a sustainably made product that is natural, which I think, you know, our consumers care about as well. But it's it's really amazing what we've been able to do and to to sort of create again, like I started a candle company, a fragrance brand, but my goal was never to have it just be that. I want it to be a lifestyle brand. I want it to represent something bigger, something greater, and a community really coming together. So um, not to go into something else, but the reason we named it Starling, which is clearly a play on my name is because if you've ever seen a starling bird, firstly, they exist globally, which is can be rare of bird breeds, but it's stunning. They have metallic feathers. They're absolutely gorgeous. You can look them up online. They're beautiful. But what we liked was that while they're very beautiful individually, like each of us are, they're much more impactful and beautiful when they come together with a group of tens of thousands of other starlings. And they do these crazy sort of dancing, pulsating formations in the sky. So the idea was really, you know, each of us is beautiful, but we're much more beautiful and impactful when we come together for the greater good. You mentioned that one of the things that has grown out of the Starling Project is this, or was certainly a goal of yours in creating the Starling Project, is this community. So talk to us about how that community developed and and what it's doing and what you've seen within it towards helping provide the solar energy in Africa. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Yeah, sure. So, well, I think there's multiple ways to look at the community we've sort of created. So on one hand, you have a community here. I'm very fortunate to sit on the board of UNICEF in New York. I also chair UNICEF's Next Generation, which is uh, a group of 21 to 40-year-olds, professionals, you know, working for this greater good uh, in humanitarian work. But I think 
you know, I think that's part of the community. It's crazy. We have what I call Starling community members all over the country. And, and those, that's people who write in, you know, and say, saying, how can we do more? How can we make a bigger impact? Um, and we offer these things called Starling suppers. And we actually encourage people to host their own dinner. That's sort of about collective action and community coming together. And again, it doesn't need to totally be focused on what we're doing. It can be focused on something that the host themselves is passionate about. Maybe that's, um, you know, food in developing countries, for instance. But the idea is to really spark conversations. So we host quite a few of these. You could probably see some that we've done online. And, and it's amazing, you know, and we actually, at most of the ones I host, we actually ask people to uh, not use their cell phones. And we actually cut the electricity and light up the table with candles um, as sort of a reminder of the solar cause. But I think it's it's really about showing people you can be impactful individually, but even more so when you team up with others, et cetera. Um, and then simultaneously, as I mentioned, we truly are helping communities abroad. And why abroad? Because the need in many third world countries is is for, you know, they have basic needs that we're fortunate enough to have here in the United States, such as water or food or vaccines, for instance. So our first project that we funded with UNICEF was in Chad. This was similar to what I described that I had witnessed in Vietnam. And it it is basically a community that was trekking three to five miles in one direction for clean water. And in fact the water wasn't necessarily clean that they would go to get, which is is devastating. And ultimately, it was leading to children having preventable diseases such as cholera and diarrhea, which really you know, shouldn't be happening. And unfortunately, if they get sick, many of them actually pass from these diseases that are very treatable in the United States um, and other developed countries. But that means they're not in school. And by the way, that typically means their parents can't go to work because they're taking care of their children. So it really has this trickling effect. And plus you're spending most of your day hauling water to and from your community. So we put in solar panels in Chad that, again, power pipes for clean water directly to the center of the community. And and this is a game changer because candidly, these children are no longer sick um, of cholera and diarrhea anyway, um, they're able to spend more time studying or parents are able to spend more time working, for instance, because they're not having to make that crazy long walk every day. Um, so this is a real game changer. And the beautiful thing about solar is it really requires little maintenance once it's in, like solar pan- once a solar panel is installed, there's not much maintenance and they last for decades. So it's really a long-term solution to these problems. And we were very proud to get that done with UNICEF and and really watch the impact on a few thousand people in this community. And in addition to that, we're now... I, I took a trip to Rwanda with UNICEF recently and was exposed to a lot in that country, ultimately interviewing locals, trying to understand what their biggest issues were. And it ultimately came down to the healthcare system there um, it was very clear that, you know, that many people are actually fearful to go to the hospital there because they, it's, it's packed. Um, unfortunately, they don't have electricity in many of the hospitals, meaning they aren't able to as easily sanitize, you know, their tools, for instance, with machines that need power. Um, in addition to that, you know, many companies are willing to, to donate 
tons of vaccines that are life-saving vaccines, but there's no refrigeration. So now our project's even larger scale, and we're working uh, with UNICEF to help provide solar energy to hospitals in Rwanda for to, to better their healthcare system and really help these people out. So um, solar can do many things, um, but we we totally look at it as you know a community helping other communities, and I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I really I think it's amazing to speak to some of the people we've helped, for instance, in Chad and, and hear them sort of talk about us as like one, all of us working together. They're like, thank you for working with us to do this. And it's crazy because, you know, I'm halfway across the world yet I feel connected and I feel a community with each person we're helping. Having done this now for a couple of years, Sterling, do you know statistics or numbers of how many communities or even families that you've helped as a result of the solar panels that your organization has been able to get installed down there? So we have, in Chad, it was two, which sounds like nothing, but quite frankly, they're massive. And I think the the number is well above 5,000 people. Um, In Chad specifically, Rwanda is a much bigger larger scale project. Um, and once, and the reason we decided to commit to Rwanda was because we feel strongly that our business is growing and, and doing better. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have been able to commit to something like this, but our, our single goal is really to make as big of a difference as we can. Um, we're not trying to, to make a tiny dent. We're trying to make a big one. So in Rwanda, it's going to be tens of thousands of people. It's a little bit difficult to quantify just because, you know, different numbers of people are in and out of hospitals every day. But what we can say confidently about our brand is that uh, for every candle sold, you're helping at least one person uh, get solar energy. So we're confident about that number. We actually think it's potentially higher per candle sold, but um, but we know it's at least one. As you said, light for light. I love that. I think that's quite amazing. And no doubt uh, you're going to continue helping lots and lots of people through your brand and awareness of your brand as that continues to grow. Something that I've been thinking about as you've been talking, you mentioned that you had a really supportive boss. And it makes me wonder, you know, if you hadn't had a supportive boss, if you would have gone to Vietnam, if you would have done these things. And I'd like to ask you, you know, like that's somebody who obviously had their heart in in the right place, but who are some of the other people in your life that were huge influences on you and, and what you've done in terms of getting the Starling Project and bringing it to reality? Sure. So I'm fortunate. I was fortunate to be raised by two entrepreneurs and two entrepreneurs in very different fields. So my father was in the car business and my mother was in the gym business. Um, she's a pretty hardcore athlete. So I, I saw dedication from the time I was born pretty much. And to be fair, my parents both had their tremendous struggles throughout their career. And, um, and I was, I guess, fortunate to witness some of those things, but I also saw perseverance in both of them. And so I think, you know, they both followed dreams that, you know, were, were their own dreams, nothing sort of pushed on them by their parents or anything like that. I think they were fortunate to have parents who 
were supportive. And in turn, I was, I was fortunate to have parents saying to me, you know, go for what you believe in, like what, what is calling you, you know, what is, you will find what is right for you. Um, I may be the only person in the world who had parents look at me like I was crazy when I told them I got a job at Goldman Sachs. So, um, they literally were like, we don't understand you, but you have so many passions. Like, don't you want to pursue something else? You know, something that's more meaningful to you. Um, and I, and I was lucky in that way. And, and by the way, I had many, many ideas prior to this candle light for light idea. And I was trying to get maybe even too creative and too out there. And, and my parents were very good at sort of helping me through the logistics of like, does this make sense in the end? You know, what do you think? And it, and I, and I really thought when I, when I wanted to start a candle fragrance brand that, my dad was going to think I was crazy because, you know, I, he knows nothing about that world firstly. And secondly, like, I didn't know if he was really going to make the connection quite like my mom was in terms of, I know she loves to buy nice candles. She loves aromatherapy. Um, so she would understand that there's value creation to be made, but I wasn't sure about my father. And it was crazy because out of all the ideas I shared with him, he was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so I was excited to hear him say that. But in addition to that, I do have mentors. One mentor specifically, um, his name is John Winkelreed. He's he's actually a known Wall Street guy, but he he's close friend of my family's, and he is my biggest mentor. And what's great about you know John is that no matter what interests me, even though it it may be something he knows nothing about. He's always been so encouraging, always sat down for countless hours, honestly, and worked through, you know, things with me so that to make sure I fully have an understanding. And he's pushed me very hard, uh, pressed against my ideas, trying to see the kind of conviction I have. Um, and I think it's important for everybody to have a strong mentor outside of their family to sort of have an unbiased opinion and, and, somebody who's honest and open and can take you through pros and cons and can challenge you. I think it's probably been one of the most instrumental things in my career is having John be a part of um, my life. Fantastic. And I know you mentioned that you have all of these other creative ideas. Where do you see the Starling Project moving to next? So we have a couple of things in the work works. We're proud to announce that we just launched a holiday candle last week. It has been one of the most requested things to us by our consumers. So every year it gets closer to the holidays and everyone's like, are you launching a holiday scent? Something like that. Um, and, and our goal with each of our fragrances is to be totally unique and different. So for instance, we have a vanilla candle, but it's vanilla and hemlock. So it's very different than your traditional vanilla. With the holiday candle, we try to go the same direction. So there are notes of fir and pine. However, we wanted it to really be open to anyone of any religion and not be just a Christmas candle. So we think we truly achieved like a, a winter holiday candle, if you will. So we're constantly growing our, our fragrances you know, we're, we're, we have a few other products in the pipeline, uh, such as matches and, uh, trio gift sets, for instance. But, you know, now we're, we're starting to think of other ways we can bring the community 
together. So um, Starling Suppers are one big way, but we're doing collaborations with other brands such as uh, Shadowbox, which is a boxing fitness studio. Um, because at the end of the day, we are a wellness product as as well as a beauty product. We've, we fall in m- many different ca- uh, categories, which is actually a great thing. But um, I've been shocked at how much so the wellness community has embraced us. And I guess it makes sense. We're a natural product. We also, you know, it's aromatherapy and we use essential oils that sort of cater to relaxation, et cetera. So, you know, I think we're starting to make more of a focus on other brands that we can work with and collaborate with and come together to make a, a greater impact. Outstanding. And I know outside of the Starling Project, you also are co-owner of a restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club in New York City. So how, how did that happen? Because that seems just so divergent from, from what you're doing otherwise. Yes, I know. Actually, that happened prior to me even starting the Starling Project. So I, I have that, I guess, entrepreneurial bone in my body that I'm pretty opportunistic. Like I, by the way, I also uh, do some residential redevelopment as well. So I do use my um, architecture and design degree uh, outside of the Starling Project. Um, But with Hunt and Fish, I actually was introduced by one of my bosses while I was still at Goldman to the group sort of coming together to create this restaurant. And um, at the time I was, I was looking for sort of any type of new opportunity I could be a part of and learn from and do the finance work on the back end to sort of understand how different businesses work. And candidly, it was sort of the perfect group of people because they all came from finance backgrounds. We wanted to create something that sort of caters to Wall Street in the area. And so our idea was that it's, it's sort of, in a touristy area near Times Square. And everything over there is essentially uh, touristy. So we wanted to create something for anyone else, you know, locals, et cetera, who may not want to be in a touristy area, but rather, you know, grab a drink or have a meal in a, in a little more peace of quiet, if that makes sense. So we started it. It's a steak restaurant. It's very nice. And, and it's been quite the ride, but we have had a great time with it and I've learned a lot from it. So, you know, it, it, it probably helped me as well in starting my business. And even though it's a different business, you know, it always helps to, to learn anything you can, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's a great thing to be a part of. Very cool. So for, for all of the Daily Helping listeners in the New York City area, go, go check that restaurant out and get yourself a good steak. Uh, we're, we're just about at time here, Sterling, and I'm really grateful you came on the show today. As you know, I always wrap up by asking my guests a question, which is, what is your biggest helping? That is the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after listening to our episode today. Yeah, so I think um, I, I always go back to a pretty solid Gandhi quote, um, be the change that you wish to see in the world. You know, I think it's it sounds so intense, especially coming from somebody who really was a massive world game changer. But um, I I believe it's possible. And I think, you know, if you envision the change, go for it. You can be the person to make a difference and make a change in this world. And, And I'm eager to, you know, continuously team up with more people with greater visions. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you leave this world, I think it's important 
at least for me to be able to know that I really helped change people's lives and that it's actually possible to do. Amen. Sterling, where can people find you and find out about your project? So you can visit starlingproject.org and you could feel free to email me directly if that's of interest at sterling at starlingproject.org. I love speaking to anyone and everyone hearing ideas Uh, things like that. And I'm always open, you know, to meet new people. Fantastic. And so for those of you who are driving behind the wheel of a car right now, we will have 